Then the king of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. The foolish took their lamps, they took with them no oil. But the prudent took their oil and flask along with their lamps. Now when the bridegroom was delaying, they all got up drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So he says in 25.1, the kingdom of heaven will be complicated. Not that it is, but it will be. This is a future uh, event. It will be like these ten virgins who went out to be the bridegroom. Now, what's the situation with the virgins? Some of them took extra oil. Yes. To be prepared for a long wait. Yes. And others did not. Now, what would what are what are what these uh, these lamps are like? Oil lamps. <laughs> well, yeah, in a way, probably these were like torches with like oil-soaked rags wrapped on a stick, from what I've read. And if you don't have an extra jar of oil, kind of like having a flashlight without extra batteries or whatever. Because you know, if, it, if it's burned too long, you're going to need some more oil to re-up it. And, but in this case, these ten virgins were very similar to each other in the story. What are similarities you see between these ten virgins, all these ten virgins? They all fell asleep. They all fell asleep. They all brought lamps. They all brought lamps with oil in them. What else? They were invited. They all were invited. They were all waiting to enter the feast. They were all virgins. Virgins. What's the only difference? Some of them had extra oil. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's the only thing we see as a difference between them. In all other ways, they were alike. And so when the time came, you know, it looks like the bridegroom delayed and they weren't ready and well, now the time comes and their lamps are going out. And so what did they want to do? Well, I'm far open. Yeah. Share. Yeah. But you can't, uh, you know, you can't borrow being spiritually read. You know, that's not, that's not something you can do. Um, and so what did they have to do? Go back to find the seller to the marketplace. And what happened in the meantime? <clears throat> Bridegroom came. Bridegroom came and then once they get to the wedding feast, the door has been shut. You know, they ask the Lord, you know, please open up to us. And what does he say? No. He said, I don't know. You, you know, so what do you learn from this?
like the last one. You've got to be ready. Yeah, you've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. And preparation may mean doing more than what you thought you had to. You know, trying to do the minimum possible requirement may not be a very good idea. Because, you know, that may not be enough. What other lessons do you learn here? just by some last minute adjustment. You know, this idea of, oh, okay, now, now we'll do something. And if you, ever, you know, what would you do if you heard suddenly the shout of the archangel and the trumpet of God? Would you like, forgive me, forgive me. Like, like, you, know, what do I, go, I, you know, who do I need to apologize to? What do I need to change? Well, what, what's that going to be like? Will he say, can, can you say, hey, give me an extra couple hours here, and then, and then we'll go? It doesn't work like that. You know, it's too late then. When you hear that trumpet, forget it. You aren't ready, you won't be ready. It's too late. So, you know, that's a real scary thing. You don't know when your last moment to make preparation might have passed. What else do you learn from this? Take extra oil. Yeah. You don't have to share your oil with somebody else. You can't share your oil with somebody okay. else. Exactly. You know, you can't borrow spiritual preparation from somebody else. It can't be transferred. You know, everybody's got to have their own oil. So, you know, you can't rely on somebody else to do this for you. And the time of Jesus coming back is unknowable. In, in the last part of chapter 24 with that evil servant, the master came back when? When he didn't expect it. Sooner or later than expected. Sooner. Sooner. Here, the bridegroom comes at an unexpected time. When was later. it? Later than expected. You know, maybe he'll come before we're expecting him. Maybe he'll come after we're expecting him. But he's going to come on his schedule, not ours. And then what happened when the foolish virgins got back with more oil? It was too late. And then what? Yeah, it was hopeless then. You know, after Jesus returns, there's absolutely nothing more that we can do to alter our eternal state. You know, we're not very accustomed to things that can't be changed. You know, something that's like, this is final. Final, final. We always think, well, maybe it's not that final. Well, this one is. It's totally final. So, when the door's shut, it's over. I comments and questions on that parable. I really like um, thinking about this in comparison with First Thessalonians five that says you're not in darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief, but you're sons of light and so forth. So like 
this is really scary, but if that's if you're you know in the light, then absolutely, <laughs> you have not nothing to worry scary. about. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those that are well prepared, the wise virgins. Was this a sad time for them? No. No, they were able to go to the wedding feast. They were in. Yep. Cameron. Um, I have a, a couple questions on the parable, uh, like the physical side of it. What, what is like the whole torch thing important for the wedding thing? Um, well, they have to be able to see to get there. They didn't have street lights. All right. Um, and what's the importance of us saying that the ten virgins, not just ten beings? <laughs> Two good questions that have absolutely nothing to do with the story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think. I was just wondering, could it have any importance? Because I don't see it. You, you can only go to heaven if you're a virgin? No, probably not. Uh, I don't know. Would these be like bridesmaids that you'd think of as being unmarried? Would that possibly mean? Like, our relationship to God and other gods, we can't have other husbands in that aspect, or is that stretching? I think it's stretching. Yeah, I used to think maybe it was like the brides, you know, the bride or something. Ah. When I first read this, oh. The harem. Yeah, the harem, waiting for the... the A multiple wedding. The bridegroom. He did Huge too. eggs, Susan, Jane, Marie, your awful wedded wives. Did you really think that? Oh, years ago, yeah. It's like, oh, well, they wanted to get in to the bridegroom. and yeah, but, a couple of years ago. Yeah, back in the good old days, yesterday. Was <laughs> hot? So you had to have lamps and had to be a virgin. So well, not every point of a parable is a point. Yeah. Other thoughts, questions, comments. You didn't answer those. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for some I can answer. Anybody got a question I can answer? <laughs> Somebody throwing a softball. Yeah, that's what, what chapter are we in? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask him what book, because last week he was all confused. <laughs> Maybe what testament. All right, 14 to 30. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. And he received the one talent, went away and dug in the ground and, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought him five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. 
But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has shall more be given and to the one who has abundance, until he, and he shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And cast out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. So, here you've got this man that's going on a journey, and what does he do? Divides up some of the wealth or the investment money or something among the slaves. Yes. Some of the possessions. Yes. He gives them really large amounts of money. A talent is a lot. It's a weight, but it's a lot. And how does he decide how to divide these up? According to ability? Yeah. Some people can handle more and invest more than others can. And so, is God going to expect the same thing out of every one of these? No, he didn't entrust the same amount to each one. Some people God has given more to, and he expects more out of More ability, more opportunity, more time, more knowledge, more whatever. To whom God has given more, he expects more. And so what does the uh, five-talent man go out and do? Invests and gains five more. <clears throat> and the two-talent man? Invests and gains two more. And the one-talent man? Digs all in the ground. <laughs> and hides the talent, so he's still got it whenever the master comes. You know, you, you appreciate those good servants. They don't delay. They right away get down to business and invest. But with the other talent, you know, with the other servant that gets the one talent, you have to wonder about that. Now in verse 19, after a long time, there's a long delay. And, you know, then he, the master comes. And what does he see has happened with the five talent man? He doubled his investment. So what does he do with it? He boards him. Yes. He says, you know, I'll put you in charge of many things. And then the two talent man, he sees that he's doubled his investment. What does he do with him? Same thing. Same thing. He rewards him. Did the two talent man and the five talent man produce the same amount? No. No. God didn't give everybody the same ability, the same time, the same resources, the same opportunities, but they both did well with what the Lord had entrusted them. But what happens when he gets down to the one talent man? What was going on with in his head? He was afraid to invest it. He thought he might lose it. So he said, I'll just hide it and give back exactly what you gave me so, I'm not, so for sure it's not going to be any less. So what was this guy's problem? He didn't use the talent he was given. Yeah. Why not? Afraid of failure. Yes, exactly. He just was trying not to do anything wrong. You know, he was afraid of a failure. Now, to be a disciple, are we going to have to risk anything? You know, Jesus talks about denying yourself and 
losing your own life, you can't play it safe as a Christian and achieve anything. You know, some people are so afraid of doing the wrong thing, they don't do anything. Which is not. I mean, the Lord clearly does not agree with that here. And uh, some people are like, I can't, I won't try to be a Christian because I'm afraid I couldn't live it. Well, that's what this, he's afraid he couldn't make any money with it. So he just preserved the investment. You know, what should he have thought? I mean, he didn't, he didn't do anything at all. He didn't try anything. So he should have used what little he had. Exactly. All I've got is one talent, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I can with the one talent. Exactly. And the master said, even putting it in the bank would have been better than digging a hole in the ground. Right. You got an interest. Which, you know, if you put a talent in the bank, you're not going to gain another talent like the others obviously didn't do just Right. They didn't just take the five and put it in the bank. They wouldn't have gained five more. Right. But even that would have been better than doing nothing at all. Right. Is what the master says. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, I mean, what did he know about the master? He reaps where he does not sow. He knew he was tough. He knew he was hard to please. How should that have made him feel? Well, in this case, it made him feel scared to do anything. But what, but but doing nothing, is that going to please a master yeah. like this? I mean, it's like to ensure that the master will be displeased with you. If the master's that hard nosed, you better work. You better try. He, I think he misunderstood. I think he misinterpreted the master. Obviously, thinking that the master will be more pleased to get back what he gave me than he would be if I took a chance and lost any of it. Yes. And that would have been an incorrect yes, assessment some, of the master. Some people think that to to never allow themselves the possibility of doing anything wrong is better than taking some risk to do what's right. And that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like how James talks about being teacher. Well, or warning to him, he gives there because he's like, it is. Um, the, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's saying it's harder for him because he's going to get judged in what he's speaking. And so um, that might scare some people away from teaching and stuff because, well, I'm going to be judged on this, and it's going to be harder for me because I'm speaking. If I speak it wrong, I'm going to be judged on this. I might make others to stumble. But that wasn't saying not to do it. It just said be careful when you do it. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, we really have to, we have to do what we can. You know, I wonder if it's significant that this is the one talent guy that does this. Does, is he looking around and thinking, well, I can't do as good a stuff as the others, so I better not even try. You know, I'll never be able to get two more or five more. But we don't measure ourselves against that. We have to do what we can with what the Lord gives us. You know, when we sit around saying, oh, you know, they know the Bible so well, I've never learned it that well, I won't try to read it. You know, they're so successful at evangelism, they teach people and people just fall over themselves and be baptized. I won't even try because I can't do it like that. Etc. I
That was a new ringtone. Uh, yeah. So does it mean anything that this master reaped where he didn't sow and stuff? I mean, that doesn't it, seem like a good thing. Well, it means he expects us to do a lot with what, with what we've been given. So you don't take that as a negative? No, but I take it as meaning you, we know he's a master who expects more than what he gave out. I just hung up on somebody. <laughs> so okay, I just always saw that as a negative, but never knew how to. Did you do? Did yeah, you see it like too. that? Yeah, I think he's just saying, man, this guy's tough. You gotta, you gotta really achieve for him. So I won't try. You know, thinking, well, man, it's hard to please the Lord. I guess I'll give up. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's hard to please the Lord. You better get started. <laughs> So is that the picture we're supposed to take from this, that it's hard to please the Lord? Well, I think that the Lord does have expectations. He expects us to do what we can based upon our ability, opportunity, time, resources, etc. I mean, he was well pleased with the five-talent man and the two-talent man. It wasn't like people couldn't please him. But he's not pleased with the guy who's not willing to work and not willing to try. You know, he's not pleased with the person who said, I I'm afraid I'll get it wrong and I won't do anything. Because sometimes that's our mentality. I don't want to do anything wrong. I, so if I just say nothing, if I just do nothing, then I'll never get it wrong, so I'll be okay. And the parallelism isn't always exact. I mean, even with, what about the, uh, the one of the, oh, the unrighteous steward that goes out? You know, he's praised. That's certainly not a parallel in every sense. God's not going to praise you for doing something wrong. Right. So this isn't an exact parallel. This is mainly saying, look, you know, you in this parable, you know how that master is. So this is what you should have done. Right. In our relationship to God, we know what he that he expects. Whether you use the exact same terminology and say, well, he's a hard man and master, and he he reaps where he doesn't sow may not be an exact parallel, not in a negative sense anyway, the way this appears. But Certainly the way some people think about God, and it's what people do, like, uh, I, I'm not going to do anything wrong. You know, I think that, I think when all we can think about is, I just don't want to get this wrong. If I got this wrong, so I better not do this because it might be wrong. I took it this more saying, they knew the master's expectations, and some reacted the right way, some the wrong. We know our master's expectations and we can look and see how we need to respond to that. I mean, you know, in these things, both the virgins and the talents, it's like God expected more. But he hadn't really set a specific expectation. Was there a passage that said how much oil, you, extra oil you had to carry? You know, is there a passage that says how many talents you have to gain? God expects us to go beyond the bare minimum. He expects us to do what we can based upon what he's given us. You know, did he expect the, the two-talent man to gain five talents? No. He expects each of us to do what we can with what he's given us. Well, this last scene, 
It's probably no parable. I think this is really a statement of what's going to happen, more or less. So 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then it will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, so we got the scene with the Son of Man coming in his glory with the angels and all the nations before him. And uh, there's a separation between the sheep and the goats. And there's no half sheep, half goats. They're one side or the other. And what makes the difference between the two sides? One is righteous, one is not. Righteous in what sense? Took care of people. Took care of what people? And in this case, brethren like that. Because he says, if you've done it to one of these least of my servants, you've done it to me. Jesus views us as his body. So however we treat other Christians is how we're treating Jesus' body. And so the basis of the judgment was how we treated other Christians, whether or not we cared for them or not. Now, on the side of, of uh, each of them, there were some surprises. What did the righteous people say when the Lord says, you've done all these things for me? When? Yeah. What does that tell you about them? When they were doing these things for their brethren, what were they not thinking? Yes. Well, so why were they doing it? Just because that's what they were doing. Sure. They served to try to help without calculating the reward. They just wanted to do everything possible with their brethren. They weren't thinking, oh, I'll do this and I'll get a reward. You know, being a Christian means I change my life. I change my heart. I love. I want to serve. Not that I think, well, I think I could get by without doing this. Maybe I could get by without that. You know, how many of these can I take off and this thing still stand? You ever played that game? What is that game? Jenga. Is it Jenga? You know Jenga? 
Oh no, Jacob. Yeah, and and eventually you get to the point where you can't take another one off. You know, is that what we're trying to do? You know, how many things can we take off, and we're still with this structure still standing? Can you take off this? Can you take off that? Can you take off that? Well, that's not how a Christian thinks about it. He doesn't think like, well, can I get by with not doing this? Can I get by with not doing that? He wants to do all he can. And by the same token, how did the wicked feel when they got to the judgment? He said, you hadn't done any of these things to me. Just a surprise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They hadn't violated like some specific order of the Lord. But they hadn't gotten to first base on the principle of love and, and mercy and grace and things like that. And so, you know, the judgment is not based upon, you know, I got a certain percentage on the test. You know, it's based upon my life. And if I have a life of serving, then, then God, God blesses. Not because I thought, okay, this will be the one that will get me over the top. You know, if I do this. No, we don't think like that. We give ourselves to God. We serve God. We love God. Does that make sense? So I think in all these, you don't see, you know, all right, tell me how much extra oil do I have to have? All right, tell me. I'll tell you how many talents I've got. You tell me how much do I have to earn? You know, okay, uh, how many sick people do I have to visit? It's not like that. It's when you serve God, you bring all the oil you can. You make all the talents for the Lord you can. You serve all your brethren you can. You're not trying to calculate the uh, problem of spiritual calculus, the minimum possible requirement to get to heaven and avoid hell. Comments and questions? Back to that same thought about the set of rules and the checklists. It just doesn't fit the, the principle. Yeah. You're right. By the way, in verse 41, why did God prepare hell? The devil. Yeah, it was the torment the devil deserved. Wonder what kind of torment that would be like. That, that makes it even worse to think about. This, this place is where, where God designed for Satan to be destroyed. And uh, look at verse 46. You know, how long's the punishment and how long's the life? Yeah, there are people, it's really popular today to say hell is like just annihilation. But it's eternal punishment. It's just as long as the life is. Comments and questions? It's not something to just mess up on because you don't get a second go. We should definitely be giving our all and not trying, like you were saying earlier, trying to do it the least amount they can. With that punishment designed for the devil, it's not something we should chance like that. We should bring all our oil and stuff. And when you really love God, you don't even think about it that way. When you really love God, you want to serve all you can. You want to do all you can. That's the way we need to think. Other thoughts? It's the same thing if you really love anybody. Absolutely. 
you know, will my husband divorce me if I don't do this, if I don't do that? How, what's the least possible I can do and you know, he'll still give me a good night kiss or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's not the way you think about it. If you love somebody, y'all are too young, but well, some of, most of you are. But you know, have you ever had a girlfriend? Well, not exactly. Can you imagine what it'd be like to have a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> in about 50 years, when you have a girlfriend, how will you treat her? Reminds me of Mary pouring the oil on Jesus. Yes, love is extravagant. Yeah. That goes beyond the call of duty. Now, when you love somebody, you're not thinking, oh, you know, will she still marry me if I don't, you know, do this for her? You know, no, you love her. What do you do for her? Everything you can. You're not thinking like, okay, I think I could get by without this. You don't want to get by without this. If you knew, know it would be good for her, if it'd help her, if she'd enjoy it, if it'd make her happy, you want to do it because you love. There's so much difference in serving God out of love and serving out of some kind of slavish obligation. You know, okay, how many more sick people do I have to visit? You know, ha. And, 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 you know, you, you get your quota for the week, whatever it is, and then somebody calls you and, and they really need help. Nope, already got checked off. You know, no more time this week. I've already dealt with, with all the sick people I'm going to. Well, no. You know, because the person gives their life, their heart, their mind to God. And so they love God and live for Him. I think about it from God's perspective about it you know like from a wife's perspective you don't want your husband just to do that because he has to and just the bare minimum so that God's the same way yeah, that's exactly right yeah and, and when you see what God says you want to please him you want to you want to serve him it's it, what he says is the very best thing for us so we're really acting against our own best interests when we don't serve him in everything Other comments? 26, 1 to 5. When Jesus was speaking on his birth, he said to his disciples, You know that the Passover is 